to Nazi Germany. Ukraine was the place of uh, greater abuse of Jews than any other place on earth. And they were abusing Jews in their pogroms long before the Nazis rose to power. And once they did, it became uh, a killing field. So I have no respect for the Ukraine. I have no respect also for the Ukraine in terms of being an honorable government worthy of anyone's support. It is as corrupt as any nation on earth. I am disgusted by the fact that the United States has used um, our overturning of the popularly elected government uh, of the Ukraine to justify the existence of NATO, which is something when this occurred, I was very outspoken and saying, this is what's happening, folks. Don't believe mm-hmm. what you're reading in the news. Uh, and I'm disgusted by that because there is no purpose for NATO. Uh, and it is NATO that is going to be principally responsible for World War III. Uh, I was having trouble saying how a world, having barely survived World War II, would find itself in World War III. But the answer is World War I. In World War I, mm-hmm. it was the treaties between nations that turned a non-event into a world war, mm-hmm. uh, one that, de- uh, that nations deployed the most heinous of chemical weapons. Well, in this case, it's going to be treaties between nations, NATO in particular, that's going to cause World War III. Russia doesn't want to invade the Ukraine. They don't want the Ukraine any more than, uh, than any sane person would want the Ukraine. But they do not want NATO uh, on their southern and western border, uh, not only in control of their pipeline uh, to Europe of natural gas, but also to have NATO missiles and military presence there. You know, mm-hmm. this is much more serious for Russian survival than was or than were missiles in Cuba back in 1962. And if you want to understand Russia's position on the Ukraine, all you need to do is turn back the clock to 1962 and consider what America's position was when Russia brought in missiles to Cuba. And the deal that we made with Russia at the time was, uh, if they removed their uh, nuclear missiles from Cuba, we pledged never to invade Cuba. That was the deal. Russia's looking for the same thing, and for the same reason. Remove the NATO military support and hardware. Don't allow the Ukraine to become part of NATO, and we'll all be fine. That's all we're looking for. But the United States is belligerent. And and if there is war, it's going to be because the United States caused it. And, and because the United States is not willing to forego either of those two sensible things. And we're trying desperately to get the rest of the world to fan the flames of war, threatening Putin, threatening Russia, like we're scolding a child. 
And ultimately, when you push people into those positions where you do not respect superpowers, bad things happen. And universally, the media is so stupid in our country, they're not willing to tell you why we should not be supporting the Ukraine and why the Ukraine situation is no different than 1962 in Cuba. But that's the truth. And because of our belligerence, we're putting the world at risk of world war. Now, I had thought that Russia would invade the Ukraine because uh, America gives Russia no choice, simultaneously with China trying to occupy Taiwan, uh, because the world can't deal with both of those two problems. Uh, Economically, the West would collapse. But right now, there is no chance that Taiwan is going to be invaded by China uh, a matter of weeks prior to the Winter Olympics in Beijing. So we most certainly have three weeks, if not four weeks, to resolve these issues because, as I say, I think that they would be done as a joint event because then the world is not able to marshal its sanctions and the like against, uh, yeah. against both countries at the same time. But I can tell you that that America has essentially killed itself. Our response to COVID-19 with the lockdowns and the deprivation of livelihoods was even more counterproductive than I had previously shared with you. Uh, And without admitting it, it's now common knowledge. My wife told me this morning that the RO on Omicron has reached four, which means for every person that contracts it, they share it with four more. And since the incubation period is two days, that one person becomes 16 four days later and then becomes 64 immediately after that. Uh, It is why my conclusion has been that the reported numbers, which were at one time a million a day contracting Omicron in the United States, was actually times higher than that number. And that collectively across America, we have probably neared, if not reached, herd immunity. But viruses are funny things, the way that they mutate to survive. And so there are so many different variations already of, of Omicron and of Delta that what we do not know is whether or not the natural immunity from Omicron, will it be better than the vaccine immunity, which kept most Omicron victims, such as myself, out of the hospital. I was triple vaccinated. I got Omicron. Five days later, other than a uh, slow uh, processor, I was fine. My wife, uh, not so good. She has uh, uh, related problems uh, that uh, COVID has uh, aggravated. But the vaccines, while the the 
first vaccine was marginally effective. The second vaccine uh, was uh, exceedingly effective for a matter of five to six months, the booster for only 10 weeks. And the booster's booster, they're thinking maybe four to six weeks. So we cannot vaccinate our way out of this. And uh, herd immunity seems now to be the only uh, option. And all means of trying to prevent people from getting it have have turned to be completely futile. So now we're strictly at the mercy of whether or not uh, this uh, vaccine will outsmart us uh, and come up with a variation that um, uh, breaks through the natural immunity from those who have had it. But I can tell you that we're not through with the pandemics. Uh, the greatest pandemic the world has ever known is Christianity, religion, yes. and in particular Christianity, the ultimate plague of death. Uh, we, I would like to say one thing about uh, Christianity and its inception that I've, I've written a lot about uh, recently and I think is, is helpful for particularly our Jewish friends to hear. I think in social media, uh, the, uh, um, the word went out uh, to the Jewish community in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Uh, thank you, Dee, uh, for the work that you're doing uh, in that area and also uh, Leah and Jackie. Um, Christianity exists because of rabbis. The greatest plague the Jewish people would ever know is a direct function of rabbinical malfeasance. Now, I've shared before, and I've been called an anti-Semite for this, and I'm the opposite from an anti-Semite. I I love the Shem name of Yahweh and of his people, Yehudim, uh, as much, if not more, than anyone on planet Earth. Uh, But what I have shared is that had it not been for rabbis, Islam would not exist. That rabbis and uh, what we uh, believe was Yathrub, uh, catch a hint there, Yathrub, Mm -hmm. uh, sold uh, Talmud stories to Muhammad. He ran out of material. He bought the Talmud stories from the rabbis. He then twisted them and bastardized them to serve his purpose. And he gave the Quran an air of legitimacy, of authenticity, just as Paul misquoted the Torah and prophets to give his books this veneer of authenticity they would never otherwise have had. Had rabbis not done so, Islam would have been stillborn. Now, it wouldn't have been, it's interesting to note, it would not have been stillborn in Mecca because we now have absolute proof that... uh, Mecca was not the birthplace of Muhammad. It is not the place. Well, actually, Yathrib was the birthplace of Muhammad. But uh, Mecca was not the the city of the, not even a city, but the town of the Kaaba. Islam was not conceived in Mecca. Uh, we have absolute proof of where uh, uh, in Jordan, um, where Islam was actually conceived, where the Kaaba was actually conceived, and uh, know exactly how early Muslims uh, had the one mention of Mecca rewritten in the Quran to create 
what is a a tragic deception on behalf of uh, of Muslims. But let's turn to Christianity, because while Islam is a plague uh, on Jews, and it's a plague that would only exists because rabbis sold Talmud stories to Muhammad. Otherwise, it would not exist. It would have no credibility. There's a little different twist as to why Christianity arose in the uh, the midst of uh, Jerusalem. And that is because rabbis were blinded to the hundreds, if not thousands, of prophecies about Dode being the Messiah Dode being the son of God, and of Dode's impending return. And because rabbis, either through ignorance or deliberately, elected to diminish the accolades afforded to Dode and the promises Yahweh made to Dode, it was possible for Paul and uh, early Christians Uh, to pull off phase one and phase two of replacement theology. They would claim that Jesus was the Son of God, when in fact the Son of God is Dote. Full stop. The only person that Yahweh says, He is my Son, I am His Father, is Dote. All rabbis had to say, what are you talking about this Jesus being the Son of God? Dode is the Son of God. When the religion of Christianity, which is based upon Christo, ascribed the Christo messianic title to their Jesus, all rabbis had to say is, wait a minute. The Messiah is Dode. He was anointed as the Messiah three times. He is the returning Messiah. There is nothing in this life of Yosha, who you're now calling Jesus, that pertains to, to Masiach. As a matter of fact, every Masiach prophecy speaks of Dode, of being a great governmental leader, of being a great fighter on behalf of his people. And so everything you're claiming here applies to Dode. As a matter of fact, if you read any one of these prophecies, there's only one name mentioned, and it's never Yosha, much less Jesus. It's always Dode. And oh, by the way, had the rabbis correctly recognized that Yosha was the Passover lamb, Christianity would never have existed. Never. And Christianity, because of rabbinical malfeasance, became the greatest menace in the history of the Jewish people. Imperial Rome and then the Roman Catholic Church would hunt down and terrorize Jews and ultimately mass murder them, all because of the ignorance of the rabbis. So sometimes we have to expose and condemn the people who are actually to blame for the conditions that we witness in the world today. Yes, it's a shame that two and a half billion people today are misled 
like Christianity because the rabbis failed their responsibility. It is a shame that rabbis in a get-rich-quick scheme that turned against them made Islam possible and that we have 1.5 billion Muslims wanting to wipe out every Jew on earth. But let's lay blame where blame belongs so that the chosen people can finally separate themselves from these disgusting individuals. Now, if you think that I am being too harsh and that we should all respect the religious and that the rabbis are speaking on behalf of God and they're a Torah observant, I got news for you. God begs to differ. The Torah and prophets are clear. God despises all religious influence, particularly among Jews. And he is vociferous about it. And Jews are not Torah observant, they're Talmud observant. God is also really clear that the Jews are his chosen people. And what happened is that Christianity attempted to misappropriate Dode in two ways. One is to steal the titles that God had given to him, Son of God, King of Kings, Messiah, and give them to this artificial construct that they had created uh, out of the Dionysian myths, Jesus, to give him the veneer of credibility that would cause people to worship the Passover lamb. But because Dode also represents Yisrael, the reason we find so many antagonizing and, and, and anguishing stories in Dode's life is he does not only represent the Son of God, he represents Yisrael. And after stealing the titles and the promises that God afforded Dode, the Christian church would steal all of the promises offered to Yisrael. And as I'm translating the 119th Psalm, which will be finished within a week, uh, David has agreed to post it uh, in uh, an incompleted volume three of, uh, of an introduction to God. The most repeated theme is God endowed uh, lamenting, hating what Christianity has done uh, and what Jews have allowed to be done to Dode and Yisrael by the misappropriation of the promises that God has made to his people. All right, with those things said, I'd like to uh, return to where we were in, in uh, Zachariah. Uh, Zachariah as I have shared uh, from beginning to end, uh, exists to explain what is going to occur leading up to and immediately after the fulfillment of Kippurim. The fulfillment of Kippurim, Kippurim is the day of reconciliations. Kippurim is the day that Yahweh is returning with Dod as the Masiach, literally a resurrection of Dod. So, yes, there is a second coming. Yes, there is a resurrection. Yes, there is a Son of God. And yes, there is a Messiah. All of these things coalesce 
endowed. And he is returning with Yahweh on the day of reconciliation, Yom Kippurim, in 6,000 Yah. If you want to know when 6,000 Yah is, it's 2033 on our uh, Roman pagan calendar. And uh, Yom Kippurim uh, begins at sunset October 2nd, 622 p.m. in Jerusalem in 2033. That is what all of this is about. During the five days between their return and the, and the celebration of Sukkah, which will commence on a natural Shabbat and be a celebration of the Shabbat for a thousand years, the earth will be transformed to the conditions that existed in Eden, which was why we're told the story of Eden. We're returning there, although there won't be many of us. Uh, it'll be very few. Um, and just as there were no um, negative influences in Eden, they were all kept at bay, at bay outside the walls. The same thing is going to be true uh, as uh, Yahweh transforms his land and uh, much of the earth into the conditions we found in Eden, where there will be no religion, no politics, um, no militaries, no police, no judicial systems. Um, there it will be us with the luxury of camping out directly with Yahweh um, but make no mistake while Yahweh is disgusted by Judaism disgusted by the politics of Israel and even more disgusted uh, with Christianity and Islam and the politics of the Goy you know I'd say as a father sometimes my sons have done some things that I uh, very, very disappointing and uh, and um, hurtful. You don't stop loving them. And that's the same thing with Yahweh and the children of Yisrael. So as man's sixth millennia comes to a very chaotic close with war, pandemics, um, and when we talk about war, we're talking about nuclear war. And uh, enormous natural disasters. Um, there'll be an asteroid strike. Uh, there will likely be major tsunamis. Uh, uh, we are going to actually experience a form of, uh, of climate change where the sun is going to go through a very uh, uh, rough period for, uh, for us. Um, it's going to be hellish uh, on this planet. Most of the pain uh, inflicted by man. We are going to reach a period where there's going to be no indecision. Um, I think during that last three years, uh, from when the time that uh, Elia returns as one of the two witnesses on Pesach and 2030, to the time mm -hmm. that Yahweh returns in October of 2033 with Dode, um, that's a time of, uh, of no indecision. You're going to be deemed as either with God or against him. God's got to bring everything to a close, and I don't think he's going to see anybody as neutral. Those who remain will either be with God or against him. Those who oppose Yahweh will be brought to Jerusalem for a rendezvous with their maker, and they will provide evidence against themselves right to the bitter end. 
This is uh, Zachariah uh, 14.2. Yahweh says, I will gather. uh, I will assemble. All of the people from different races and places. William. To Jerusalem. For the war. Laha. Bekaba. To form the battle lines and to wage war. The city will be seized, and the families and their houses will be plundered. The women, they will be raped. Half of the population of the city shall leave as exiles, but the remainder of the people will not be cut off or banished from the city. What is so very sad about this is the world's becoming more and more inhospitable to Jews. Most of it no fault of the Jews, although I think the rabbis have contributed uh, to the stereotype that has become the conspiracy theory that's given fuel to the conspiracy theories. And I think progressive Jews have done their ethnicity and their nation of Israel uh, an enormous disservice. So both from the far left and the far right, Jews have been counterproductive to their interest. The fact that for the average Jewish family that is secular, cultural and secular, um, not overtly political, not overtly religious, uh, the world is closing in on them. Um, it's going to be more and more difficult to survive. And the one place that will be sort of hospitable is Israel. I say sort of hospitable. The rabbis still have way too great a control over immigration into Israel. And that makes it less hospitable. And, and uh, Jews are not good at, uh, at creating value. Israel is... Uh, Uh, among the most difficult and expensive places on earth to live. Uh, So there are problems in bureaucracy. It's a nation without a constitution. It's a nation that's trying to divide power between an exceedingly misguided and counterproductive religion and politics that is uh, unfortunately in the parliamentary system, which is exceedingly subject to compromise and bribes. So it's, it's, a, it's a country fractured. And yet that's going to be the only place where Jews have a chance to survive. And even there, God is saying, there will be war. And most of the households will be affected. And many of the women will be raped. Now, you might say, well, why would God allow it to go that far? And the answer is, it's the most compassionate thing to do. Why do you suspect, uh, Kirk, that God allowing, he's not not going to encourage the women to be raped. He's not making them available to be raped. But he is not going to initially intervene to stop them from being raped either. You know, he didn't intervene to stop the Holocaust. No. Why is God, who is going to intervene at this time, why is he waiting, though, for the, 
the militarism of uh, the uh, the jihadists to be so belligerent and hostile to his people? Well, I've got a couple of thoughts on it. Um, I was feeling really bad about this verse when I went over it because I spent probably more time on this first verse than anything uh, all the way through the end of the chapter. And it's very obviously obvious why, what he thinks of not only the Goy, but what he thinks of people who act like the Goy, and, which were his children. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you have to be really good. Every time they have done this, every time they've been really religious, every time they've been really political when they want to be just like the Goy, and that's what it's mm-hmm. about, uh, he tells them, don't live, you can't live in my house. You cannot live this way in my house, in my home. Yeah, what so Israel trying to do, they're trying to, uh, trying to improve their situation with Russia. They're doing all sorts mm-hmm. of deals with China. I think they're, China is their second largest trading partner. I mm-hmm. think Russia is the third largest trading partner. Uh, the Ukraine is right up there on the top ten uh, trading partners. They're actually going to Turkey to try to uh, negotiate uh, uh, deals. They're trying now to negotiate deals with Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, which is the homeland of of where Muslims are, are trained to hate Jews. Uh, so politically, uh, they're doing a lot of stupid stuff. Politically, mm-hmm. they're allowing uh, a third of the population to, uh, to be religious all day and not support the, the country with either jobs, productivity, or taxes, or serving in the nation's defense. So well, politically, by not being against them, you're also for them. Right. So I mean, politically, they're reaching them. out to, to really uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, they're not willing to, uh, to be aggressive and telling the world there is no such thing as a Palestinian. There is no such thing as Palestine. This two-state solution is, is absolute rubbish. You know, the, the truth is this is our homeland period, end of story. And when we are here, we have created the, the most freedom and the most upward mobility for Muslims anywhere in the world. Uh, and they have chosen to terrorize us. And when we have given them land, as we did with uh, Gaza, look what happened. So... Uh, you know, this this is, is not our problem. It's your problem. You, you are misled. And so I, I don't know why there aren't any Jewish leaders making this, uh, these claims. But it's straight on fact. And, and so what God is saying to his people is this, that, that when... The rabbis butchered the stories through the prophets and allowed Christianity to form in, uh, in Rome and uh, through Roman Catholicism. Look what happened to you in 133. Look what happened to you. This is what you brought upon yourselves. And yet, rather than saying, we did this to ourselves, we... We failed to identify the real Messiah. We failed to identify the Passover lamb. And then we foisted a false Messiah on the people and brought the wrath of Rome on us, causing us to be killed en masse, enslaved, 
and the beginning of the diaspora, we turned to the very guy that was the most belligerent and the most errant and made him the father of our religion. So here they were bludgeoned, and rather than returning to Yahweh, they went further astray. The same thing happened during the torments and the pogroms that preceded the rise of Nazi Germany in the concentration camps, and it became worse during the Holocaust. And even now, there isn't any reference to Yahweh in Israel. None. Well, There's no acknowledgement of Yosha as the Passover lamb in Israel. There's no acknowledgement that Dod is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is returning. And, oh, by the way, we don't have a lot of years left before the fulfillment of these promises in 2033. Let's get our act together. Why don't we start celebrating Pesach as God intended and actually put matzah on the calendar? Why don't we understand what Bukhotam represents and celebrate the empowerment of Shabuah so that rather than celebrating a Babylonian New Year, we can proclaim the truth to our people on Teruah and be prepared to be reconciled to God as opposed to afflict ourselves on Kippurim so then maybe then we can be part of that remnant that gets to camp out with the Iowa. So the answer to that question, Kirk, is mm-hmm. that until these stubborn and hard-headed people are put in a position where it's obvious they need to abandon their politicians and abandon their rabbis, and beyond that, once they have rejected Judaism and rejected all of the 14,000 political parties in, in Israel that comprise their parliamentary system, they turn to the actual Torah and to the prophets and begin to understand what Yahweh said and accept Yahweh by name, accept the five conditions of the covenant and embrace the invitations to meet with God. And it's only through absolute desperation. That combined with a clear, unequivocal, and compelling presentation of Yahweh's position, particularly on the cusp of Kippurim. There has never been a time, Kirk, that it was mm-hmm. more important to explain the the book of 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 Zechariah, Zechariah, than right now. This is the text that calls the chosen people home. This, of course, in the 119th Psalm, a huge portion of the 119th Psalm, is specific to righting the wrong that I began this program of describing, of how rabbis enabled Islam and Judaism by misappropriating the promises God had made to doubt and how that will finally be resolved in favor of doubt and his people. This is the message that will finally resonate when there's no hope. Now, last week we, uh, we talked uh, at length about how uh, a, a Orthodox 
Jew, Talmud-toting Jew, was trying to, spending his life trying to discredit uh, me uh, in social media. And what I said is it's exactly what I would expect. Uh, uh, if they didn't recognize Dode, if they don't recognize what the prophets are saying, if they have no idea who Yahweh is, if they don't understand how to celebrate the seven Moet Mikra, if they don't understand the terms and conditions, they're certainly not going to like what I have to say. And so we're expecting them to do exactly this. And, and the more attention that the defenders of Islam pay to what we're doing, the better. Because they'll bring it to the attention of, of Jews who actually aren't under the spell of Judaism. And they will realize that Yahweh's presentation is compelling, it's inviting, it's liberating, it's credible, and it's consistent. And that the rabbinical arguments against it are as ludicrous as is the entirety of the religion itself. So that's where we are. And until this remnant of Yisrael sees that they need to abandon these numbskulls and trust Yahweh instead. And uh, what I think is likely, read Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Because I think uh, it will be right to the very end the most complete, accurate, and clearly presented presentation of who Yahweh is, what he's offering, and what he expects in return, as well as how the events will play out that lead to this moment in time. Can can I share one little thing sure. quickly? Mm-hmm. Uh, briefly on that first in that first sentence it sets up the rest of the end to the end of this uh, chapter uh, mm-hmm. if you read through it uh, he describes uh, it, if you look up what goy is is obviously uh, pictographically at least it's walking away from being increased and lifted up by Yahweh it's uh, uh, yes uh, yeah Yahweh's so hand and his spirit in, goyim and plural would right. be to, to walk away, the uh, Gimel is uh, the foot and the going the wrong direction uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the wall, which is to be secured and empowered and connected to. Fixed in with the, home. The and Yod is Yahweh's hand reaching down for us, and the Mem is Yahweh's mm-hmm. spirit. So yeah, it's walking away from being increased and secure by Yahweh's hand and uh, his spirit. Uh, that is the essence of the preponderance of Goy. Now, that doesn't yeah, mean that every Goy is, uh, is, a, um, is, a, is counterproductive. But the overwhelming preponderance are. Mm-hmm. And God's going to hold them accountable for what Goy have done to the children of Yisrael. Well, I was, I was pretty sad when I got all the way down to about Yatsa, the word Yatsa. And where it's um, describing, uh, that's actually pictographically and otherwise is, is describing uh, the people who's being exiled, uh, which are excrement and be, to be flushed out. And Gola is to uh, 
cover up and remove the dead carcasses, all that. And so I was getting really depressed by that time. I was saying, boy, this is yeah. sad. Well, Yatsa is uh, the same uh, term that Yahweh uses to actually describe the Exodus. Uh, the Exodus is, yeah. a, uh, is a derivation of, a, be an of a, Gre- a Greek term that is then, uh, yeah, you know, goes is into, yeah, into uh, Latin yeah. and becomes Exodus. Yeah. God's term is actually Yatsa. Uh, but yeah. the term that follows Yatsa, which is uh, Gola, uh, Gola is not a not a happy word. Gola no. and Goyam are are related words. Getting, most people don't yeah. know that that the uh, the secondary definition of Goy is corpse. Yeah, carcass. Yes. So yeah, corpus, yeah. Uh, a, a carcass or corpse. Uh, the the term that I've I've used a number of times um, is uh, zombie. Uh, a a, yeah, a dead man or woman walking is a Goy. The zombie mm-hmm. is a uh, a corpse. Uh, it's a living corpse. Yeah, but not to, not to leave everybody hanging. The very right after that, you get Yether, which is a remnant a remnant that he's going to protect. That actually means to, and they're going to be Kadesh. They're going to be set apart, uh, remaining for a future time and place. Is all in the definition, and as mm-hmm. Karoth, they've been cut. Uh, and the first reference of Korah, the first time it appears in the Torah, you've got uh, is referring to a promise given to Noah where it will never happen again. So right. it gets real happy at that very end. But I tell you, I was I was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> or but, sad. And but said, half, wow. half and, of the population of the city will leave as exiles, but yes. the remainder. So the half that does not leave. That remainder. They become and set apart. I, I am, yeah, I am actually of the conclusion here that mm-hmm. there is going to be a very vibrant community by this time of covenant members in, uh, in Jerusalem and uh, Yisrael. And the ones that are fleeing are, are not the ones who are covenant members because they're, they're going to be scared to death and they're saying, we're out of here. But out of here, in every direction, is right into the teeth of the uh, of the menacing uh, Goyim armies. Yeah. So out yeah. of here is not a good yeah. thing. You notice he's saying that he's the remainder are not the ones that were out of here. Uh, the the no. remainder are those that stayed, and they're the ones who are are going to be. Um, uh, cut into the covenant, not be cut out of it. Uh, and so I think that they are um, children of the covenant. And I think as I children of the covenant, they're not among the those who are raped or plundered that God is protecting them. I, I agree with those sentiments, yes. I think so too. Yeah. So I think most of this is good news then. And, you know, keep in mind, there's, there's places where God actually says that two-thirds of the children of Israel are going to die as we approach uh, his return in 2033. And so uh, for this to be half of the city of uh, Jerusalem, that's actually a better fate than Israel as a whole. But at this point, I think we're at a very, very late date. I think this is mm-hmm. well into... Uh, uh, the early uh, months of 2033. So, yeah, I was telling us that during the final battle, Jerusalem will endure everything that Satan's advocates and man's stooges 
can throw at her. But that a significant remnant of Yehudim will hold out and endure. Half of those in the city of Jerusalem. This will be a hellish time. The final crucible of the time of Jacob's troubles. To retain the proper perspective on all of this, the lives of the covenant members taken on this day should they be among those who are ravaged, and I don't think they will be, will be revived on the next day. There'll be no memory of the abuse, and the property seized will be immediately restored. And I think God's going to allow the attack on Yisrael uh, to proceed to the point that the, it has the maximum possible influence on the remnant, the surviving remnant of Yisrael. So the maximum number of people come to, uh, uh, to know him and accept him. Because they have to do something that Jews have not done and well since the time of doubt. It's been 3,000 years since Jews have openly acknowledged Yahweh's name. And so long as there is a rabbinical influence in the land, so long as there are politicians coddling the rabbis, there will be no significant uh, pronouncement of Yahweh's name. It is still the greatest obstacle precluding Jews from returning to Yahweh's beloved Yehuda. Amazing. So for those who are victimized, who are not covenant, uh, there will only be fleeting moments left of their lives. Therefore, what this is showing is that Yahweh knows that men and women, um, uh, that there will be men and women, yeah, uh, who will be, uh, who would be all destroyed without his intervention. So he knows this is the time he must act. Uh, for the maximum benefit of his people. Yahweh will come forth to serve, and he will oppose the Gentiles. This statement in the previous one means that Paul lied when uh, he uh, promoted the notion that because uh, Jews allegedly schemed to, uh, to kill their God, that God had decided that Jews were no longer deserving of heaven, would be excluded from heaven, and that all promises made to the Jews, to Israel, would be transferred to the Gentile church. Well, not only would that make God a liar, not, so. uh, not only is there no statement that says that anywhere, it is an out bold-faced lie, there are hundreds upon hundreds of statements like this where it says Yahweh's returning, not Jesus, and where it says that his opponent are the Goyim, that were the ones who claimed the promises of the Jews. Oops. This means (laughs) that God not only is returning to oppose the Gentiles, he is returning to oppose Christianity and Islam and communists and secular humanists, that's who he's coming to oppose. And he's coming to oppose them to protect his people. 
For them it will be like a day he engages in battle, fighting a fierce force during a time of war. Yahweh is not coming back as the Jesus God with uh, open arms that wants all the little children to come to him and it'll be in one glorious setting and then it'll be this happy time. No. Well, Yahweh is going to lovingly embrace his children on the day of reconciliation. For that to occur, he is going to eliminate most Gentiles. He is going to obliterate Christianity, Islam, socialist, secular humanism, communism, progressivism, wokeism, and Hinduism, and the like. For them, it will be like a, a day he engages in battle, fighting a hostile force during a time of war. I can't imagine we puny old men with all of our pathetic weapons coming up against Almighty God who had the power to create the universe. Methinks that the author of life and the creator of the universe is um, no match for everything man can wield. This is a losing battle. Uh, You're highly advised to disassociate from Christianity and from Islam and from communism and socialist secular humanism and Judaism so that you're not among those that God is going to fight against and destroy on this day. Because, you know, God's not going to fight in a manner that that man is accustomed to fighting. He he is not going to fight... uh, a tank with a tank. He's not going to fight. That could be a, a fair fight. No. Yeah, a, a nuclear bomb with a with a another nuclear bomb. He is not going to uh, to fight uh, bullet to bullet, or sword to sword, or stone to stone. God is simply going to incinerate, literally incinerate mm-hmm. everyone who has come against his people. It will be instant. It will be total obliteration. But for those who say, oh, right, we know what the deal. That's uh, instantly gone. It's not so bad. I, you know, I can continue to be stupid right to the very end. Uh, be careful about that. Because while the body of all of those who have come against Israel, all of the Goyim, will be destroyed, their souls will not. The souls will not. Yeah. And there will be a time of judgment and a time of recompense. And if you have been deemed as opposed to Yisrael, opposed to Yahudim, opposed to Yahweh, uh, you're going to spend eternity in Sheol. And so the very best that anyone can expect at this time who is not covenant is to have their soul destroyed yeah. along with their body. That's the best you can hope for. And towards the very end, I don't even know if that's going to be possible. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, I can see that. So I would ask, how is it that Paul and pals 
managed to convince billions of Gentiles that they replace Jews when they carry around prophecies like this one, which revealed that Yahweh is fighting the Goyim on behalf of Yahudim, and they carry it around in their God-forsaken Bibles. Did Paul just prey on the universal ignorance of Goyim, expecting that once the religion he conceived was imposed, he would ultimately silence reason? Because that's what's happened. How is it that so many people have been duped into believing that Jesus is returning when the inspired text reads Yahweh? They have this all wrong, presenting statues and images of their man-god descending with flowing robes and open arms, when in actuality, he's not just fighting them, he's obliterating them. They're even clueless to the fact that this will be occurring on Yom Kippurim in the year 6,000 Yah. Jews don't recognize it. Yeah. Muslims don't recognize it. Christians don't, have don't a clue. recognize it. Not a clue. Yeah. It's so obvious when he's returning. This entire text is about his return on Yom Kippurim. And the prophecies are, yeah, we're returning with Dode on this day and what they intend to accomplish. That said, there is not a single rabbi who knows when Yahweh is returning, nor is there a single rabbi who would recognize Yahweh. They remain oblivious to the fact that Yahweh despises all of them. Here is Zechariah 14.4. On that specific day, this is Yom Kippur, his day, Yom Kippur, the day of reconciliations, he will be present, his feet standing upon the Mount of Olives. So who's returning to the Mount of Olives? Sure as hell ain't Jesus. Passover lamb does not come back to life. Yahweh, his feet mm-hmm. standing on the Mount of Olives. Why? For the benefit of the relationship as it faces Jerusalem. So on that specific day, his day, he will be present, his feet standing upon the Mount of Olives, which for the benefit of the relationship faces Jerusalem on the east. I've been there standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the disgusting Islamic shrines on the Temple Mount, the disgusting Islamic graves uh, outside of the Eastern Gate, Uh, Muslims wanting to be buried there so that when uh, the uh, uh, Messiah arrives, they, uh, they wanted to be there to fight him off so he couldn't come into the gate. Uh, Yeah, right. That's going to work really well. Uh, All of those graves will be pulverized. Uh, Alaska Mosque, obliterated. Dome of the Rock, oh my God, finally gone. 
all of the little Muslims there, the little hijabs, they're screaming Allahu Akbar, Allah is a mouse, never again. All gone. Yeah, sorry, Muslims, but Allahu Akbar means Allah is a mouse. Uh, if we could only be so lucky. Allah is Satan. All of the synagogues, gone. All of the Christian cathedrals and churches, Temple Mount will be turned back into something glorious. There'll be this wonderful waterway that will flow right through the Mount of Olives um, into the Dead Sea, turning it back into life on one side and on the other into the Mediterranean. Dode's home will be reestablished on the southern flank of uh, the ridgeline of, uh, of, of Mount Moriah, uh, mm-hmm. of Zion, and up the hill across the bridge of light, Yahweh's home for his covenant family will be uh, erected, of which uh, we will actually have the opportunity to work, should we choose, building, uh, contributing to the building of uh, our family home. And Yahweh will be there to oversee it all. This is a the most marvelous time in Yahweh's um, entire existence, which has been eternity. He's returning with his favorite person, Dode. He's embracing his wayward children who have returned to him, recognize him by name, and love him. And he has eliminated wiped out every irritant and foe of his people. There is no better time than moments after his return. There is no worse time than moments before his return. Think of that. The single worst moment in all of human history will be moments before the return of Yahweh. The most glorious for God and man will be a second after his return. Well, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it was a consistent right. use of on this day, or more literally, in this specific day, his day, and sometimes as during this essential and corporeal day, with the theme, throughout the prophecies regarding his return to his people in Jerusalem, is significant because there's only one event on his calendar referred to as Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliations. This is not a coincidence. The Mount of Olives is about a thousand paces for an ordinary man to walk um, to the Temple Mount. About twice that far to Golgotha and the original summit of Mount Moriah. The Mount of Olives lies due east of the intersection between the site of the original temple and the city of Dot. An earthquake which will occur as a result of the energy unleashed by Yahweh's presence will create a fissure which will run east to, uh, to west all the way from sea to sea. 
from the northern extremity of the Dead Sea to the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. A number of hideous structures will be devoured within this rift. This is, again, the instant Yom Kippurim is fulfilled, as we're told through Zechariah 14.4. Then the Mount of Olives will split into two. From the east and to the west, a great valley resulting from the tremendous force will move half of the mountain northward to conceal and half of it to the south towards the Negev. I took the time to look up what a rift running from the Mount of Olives uh, through Moria and then to the sea would devour. So mm-hmm. here's a partial list. At the very least, <clears throat> the resulting valley would devour the Chapel of the Ascension, the Mount of Olives Ascension Monastery, the Pater Noster Church uh, and Monastery, the Dominus Flivet Church, the Church of Mary Magdalene, Absalom's tomb, El Mawani Mosque, Al Aska Mosque, the original uh, Masjad Al Aska, the Islamic trophy known as the Dome of the Rock, the uh, marble orchard of Muslim graves, the tomb of the Virgin, the Western Wall, the Christian Information Center, the Hurya Synagogue, the St. James Cathedral, the Lutheran Church of the Redeemer, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Via Dolorosa, the Mosque of Omar Ibn Khattab, St. Anne's Church, El Hamra Mosque, Les Sures Sion Monastery, uh, Maki St. Mark's Church, uh, St. Savior Monastery, Holy Joseph Abbey, and much of the Sultan Suleiman Street. I would call that urban renewal. I like that. Urban renewal. All gone. Instantly. The resulting valley will likely be narrowest at its epicenter and then radiate out to the north and south as it travels east and west. Uh, Saphon, which is the word depicting the northward movement, reveals that its purpose will be to conceal the religious rubbish man has wrongly assumed. South is from Negeb, which suggests that by the time the valley reaches the sea, it will devour Gaza. Yahweh will be ushering in a lasting peace with a one-state solution. State solution. <laughs> Good. Flee, it says, withdraw and escape to the valley of my mountain because the gorge will reach the mountains of Atzal being withdrawn and separated so as to be beside and near. You should withdraw in the beneficial manner you escaped from the presence of the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah and Yaouda. 14.5 When Yahweh speaks of my mountain, there are only two. 
one of which is near the Mount of Olives, which is Mount Moriah, the site of the temple and the city of Dote. And while Atzal is self-explanatory, the most credible study of its location was advanced by the 1984 uh, geological study conducted by uh, Daniel Walks and uh, Dove uh, Levite. They located a large landslide that had been the aftermath of an earthquake on the Mount of Olives directly adjacent to the Wadi Atzal. The area had formerly been the King's Garden. It is located at the juncture of the uh, Henam and Kidron Valleys. The Kidron Valley runs north, separating the Mount of Olive from the city of Dote. It intersects with the Hinnom Valley just below Dote City. This is the same site affirmed in uh, Titus Flavius Josef, Josephus' uh, account. Josephus is the account. It's Josephus, easy for me yeah, to yeah. speak. You know, one of the qualifications <laughs> for this job you is that you... That. Yeah. You're not speaking you do, clearly. You get so it is. So you know, as since Yahweh made it very clear that that his final witness would not enunciate all of his words uh, with precision, uh, it is my duty <laughs> to trip over my to tongue live is that to live up to to that. How how's that for a good justification? <laughs> I, oh boy, that was good. It is, it is too. true. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna uh, trip over your tongue, you might as well own up to it. Uh, anyway, the same site affirmed by uh, Flavius Josephus' account of an earthquake causing a landslide during King uh, Uzziah's reign, blocking the king's garden in the valley. Beyond Atsal, meaning to be withdrawn and separated, to become beside and near. This location is at, so understand, nobody is actually leaving Jerusalem at this point. This, uh, this place that he's talking about is, uh, is, uh, is in the center of Jerusalem. So, and it is even closer to the spot where Yahweh is actually returning. So beyond uh, uh, Atsal, the location at the southern tip of, Yat, of uh, Zion would confirm the obvious. The remnant of Jerusalem is being invited to withdraw from the carnage by uh, ascending the mountain of God through the home of Dode to the home of Yahweh on the summit of Moriah. They aren't fleeing any place. They're coming home. Since Yahweh mentioned him, uh, Uzziah, Uzziah, uh, which means to be empowered by uh, God. Uz is, is empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yah is uh, strength, the yeah. familiar yeah. form yeah, of, uh, of Yahweh, so strength of uh, Yah. Uh, was king of Yahuda from 790 to 740 BCE, a couple of hundred years, two, uh, 200 to 250 years after Dode. He inherited the throne when he was only 16 and died a leper for having violated Yahweh's instructions. Serving during the time of the prophets, Yashaya and Hosha, he fortified the valley gate, which is pertinent to this discussion. Gay, uh, translated valley, is uh, based upon Gewa, meaning to lift up, but it also serves as the name of the valley gate. Upon Uzziah's death, Yashaya witnessed a vision in which he saw Yahweh sitting on a throne 
with the train of his robe, filling the temple, his home. A vision of this very day. It's in Yeshaya 6. It is germane to the story because it suggests that the prophet's words would begin to resonate with his people in advance of this day. Hmm. And it is Yashaya's words uh, combined with Dode's Mismore that are ultimately going to be the catalyst for the chosen people to come home. I, uh, I wrote at the beginning of, uh, of this program, before the program began in the chat room, I said that, you know, here's, here's kind of where we stand. Um, if you go to the Yada Ya site, what you'll see is that uh, Jackie and uh, Dode, uh, David, I uh, have um, cleaned up the bookshelf considerably. We've renamed a, a number of the volumes uh, to the single word name. So it, it just, it's, uh, superior from that point of view. And in fact, uh, mm-hmm. volume three is going to be Torah spelled the way the Jews are accustomed to seeing it, T-O-R-A-H on the uh, on the cover. Uh, and uh, so it's it's really cleaned up. We also have uh, to combat uh, the likes of uh, of some of the most disgusting people on earth, the Black Hebrew uh, Roots movement, the back Black Hebrew Yisraelites, uh, um, who are like a lot of the conspiratorial nutcases, they garner credibility by usurping the transliterations uh, that I've come up with of Yahweh's name, for example, and my translations to draw on an audience and then, and then take advantage of them. So we have presented on the site now, if you go, what was contact us, it's now about us. And uh, after presenting... Uh, uh, who I am and how I came into this uh, responsibility, it has a copyright statement, which we clearly articulate who we are not associated with and who has no right to use this uh, material. Um, and so the site has, has, uh, has been cleaned up and, uh, and his really significantly better. But what I said in this introduction to the show is that uh, <coughs> after I complete the translation of the 109th Mismar, which will be sometime uh, next week, to, um, David <coughs> is going to present it under the Torah volume of an introduction to God. It's worth doing because <laughs> the 119th Mismar isn't just a celebration of the Torah. It's a celebration of Dode's life and what Dode means to us, to the chosen people, to Yahweh, what role he plays in, in the separation of God's people uh, from him and also in their return to him. Uh, and so what I shared is that after uh, that's done, then they, there's a choice. Um, I can turn to... Uh, Hosha, which explains that separation and actually explains the reunion of God's people. I can turn to Chabauk and present it for the first time actually in the Yadaya series that explains how the greatest plague Jews would ever know, Christianity, was conceived. Uh, bind them together for a volume of, uh, of Yadaya. Or can take the timelines uh, that are presented in Daniel and then um, um, Yashaya to and add that to Yah's calendar. 
But the thing that I really want to do is we either proceed with volume 10 of Yada Yada, which will be uh, telling the rest of the story that the prophet has for his people, since he really is the most prolific prophet regarding what caused the separation of Yisrael from Yahweh and how they will be, the, God's people will be reunited upon Yahweh's uh, return. It is a magnificent story. Uh, and much of the end of that story we have told because it focuses on what we're doing here to, uh, on our role in calling Yehudim mm-hmm. back home. <clears throat> but also, the second uh, greatest reservoir of prophetic testimony from Yahweh regarding the return, his return with Dode and the return of Yisrael and Yehudim to him is in the Mizmor Psalms. And so we're either going to expand a volume three through the Mizmor Psalms or a volume 10 through Yaseyah uh, to uh, do the most comprehensive job possible of calling uh, Yisrael back, uh, back home at, uh, at this time. That's tough call. Yeah, so that, that is our, uh, our plan going forward. Now, um, uh, as we said, the, upon Uzziah's death, uh, mm-hmm. Yashaya witnessed Yahweh's return. He saw a vision of this day. And even the earthquake that is referenced here is connected to uh, Uzziah, Uzziah and Amos 1.1 although it is more completely developed in Yeshaya Isaiah 13, which is the parallel presentation to what we're currently considering. Both passages are presented in observations, uh, the first in growing, the second in teaching. What we're reading now is supported throughout the prophets. Because it should be. This is the single most important day in the infinite history mm-hmm. of Yahweh, uh, and certainly the most important day uh, in the history of humanity. And then we read, this is Zechariah 14.5, and then we read, Yahweh, my God, will return, and all of those who are set apart with him. Ponder that. And then, mm-hmm. Yahweh, my God, will return, and all of those who are set apart with him. Why isn't there one of the 13 pillars of Judaism that says Yahweh is God's name, Yahweh is God, and Yahweh is returning? Why? Is that not important? Excuse me. It's Yahweh returning. How is there a religion of Christianity that carries around this book in their Old Testament that makes this statement and they can't figure it out. And then Yahweh, my God, will return. Not Jesus, not Allah, not Hashem, not some nameless Messiah. And then Yahweh, my God, will return. And who's going to be returning with him? Toad. Set apart. And all of his, 
set apart. Set apart. Set apart. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. set apart is such an important term. So misunderstood. And it is never translated correctly. I mean never. Set apart means that you're set apart from one thing to another. And since they're returning with Yahweh, they're obviously set apart from the Goyim and the religious Jews that are menacing his people. They're set apart from them and set apart to Yahweh. So they're set apart from the ways of man, which is religious and political and militaristic and conspiratorial. Mm -hmm. They're distanced from those things so they can be set apart unto Yahweh. It is one of the most profoundly important concepts uh, uh, throughout the Torah and Prophets, and it is mistaken misappropriate or misunderstood. Now, for that to occur, there must be a harvest of the set-apart of covenant members prior to this day, Yom Kippurim. And indeed there is. What is the Moed Mikrai prior to Kippurim? (laughs) Teruah. What is the purpose of Teruah? Teruah is the harvest of the set-apart. Uh, in uh, Yashiyah yeah, 17 and 18, yeah. we learned that the timing of the Teruah harvest uh, occurs uh, right around the time of, uh, of uh, Israel being narrowed at the waist and, the, and right before the flood of jihadists uh, inundate Israel. That's the timing of, uh, of this harvest which I think will be in uh, 2029 is my uh, best guess. Uh, we know that it will occur prior to the time that um, uh, Elia and the final witness uh, return on Passover in 2030. Uh, and it really has to occur at the last moment uh, to give the greatest opportunity to be fair, for uh, yeah, a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful reunion here on Kaporum. Yeah. So <clears throat> that is our uh, that is our timing, and so <clears throat> that remnant uh, which is harvested at that time on Teruah uh, of covenant members of and hopefully many many Yehudim among those covenant members are going to be returning with Yahweh. We get to watch his triumphal return and his transformation of Jerusalem first and Israel second into the uh, the Garden of Eden. It's going to be a marvelous event, and we are going to be all at that time. Yes. Yeah. So the marvelous aspect of this declaration, beyond the fact that Yahweh himself is returning, is that covenant members harvested doing Teruah will be coming with them. We are those represented by uh, Kadoshim. Kadosh, uh, in the plural Kadoshim, uh, meaning to be set apart and purified, uh, is directly related to Kadash, which means to kindle a fire which provides light. As such, it provides yet another confirmation that Kara Leviticus yeah, 23, 27, which is the passage that uh, 
provides uh, Yom Kippurim's most essential instruction was correctly rendered when we said, and your soul should respond and answer the summons to appear before and approach the maternal manifestation of the fiery light who purifies and enlightens to approach Yahweh. So Zachariah explains, there will not be Lohaya on his day, Baha Yom Hahu, a diminishing of the esteemed and beloved, valued and respected Yakar light or. When Yahweh uh, presented an aspect of himself initially to Moshe on the top of uh, Mount uh, Choreb, and then uh, uh, followed the children of Israel, led the children of Israel uh, through the wilderness towards the promised land, and he was a pillar of fire by by uh, night, uh, and he was a pillar of uh, fire on the top of the whole blazing top of, of Mount Choreb during the time the Torah was being uh, revealed. Uh, that was a, an enormous diminishment of his light. Uh, Yah did not want to frighten his people, didn't want to overwhelm his people. That was, uh, there's Yah, well, we know he's, uh, his presence is marked with us, but uh, Yah was still hugely diminished. What we're being told here is there's really no diminishment of his, uh, of his light on uh, at this time. Now, what does that mean specifically? I mean, all of Yahweh does not fit into uh, three no, dimensions. All of Yahweh hmm. won't fit into four, five, or six dimensions. Uh, all of Yahweh, uh, even to, a, to come into six dimensions, would blow the universe to smithereens. Uh, so he's certainly not going to fit into uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so when it says there's no diminishment of his light, I think what it's actually saying is that the set-apart who are coming back with him are now mm-hmm. going to be undiminished in the sense of we are now seven-dimensional constructs ourselves. We are radiating Yahweh's light. We're eternal beings. We are, we are the sons and daughters of Yahweh. And that, that Collectively, we're told that Dode is going to be as brilliant as the sun at this day. We're told that that Yahweh's presence is so brilliant that you don't need the uh, the sun during the day or the moon at uh, at night. So Yahweh's presence and Dode's presence are going to be astonishingly brilliant. But I think also um, the set apart who are coming back with Yahweh are. Uh, um, we're going to experience what it means to be enriched and empowered by uh, by Yahweh and His covenant. Wow. So that's a, an amazing statement. This is upon Yahweh's return. There'll be no diminishing that day of the esteemed and beloved, valued and respected light. Uh, Yahweh is light. He is uh, the closest analog we have in our universe to explain His nature. Is light. And light's a very important um, consideration. Because on a, pho- on a photon of light, time, all time exists. The very reason that Yahweh can 
be 100% accurate in his prophecies, he's not predicting anything. He's simply reporting in our past what he has witnessed in our future. On a photon of light, time exists, and so you can witness the past and present and future simultaneously. So this is, it's, it's light that explains how all that occurs. Light is, is as a form of energy, is um, exceedingly more energetic and powerful, substantive, than is matter. So this whole transition, as we transition from matter to energy, is an enormous escalation in our power and capability. When we are light, we can travel the expanse of the universe in no time. It may be 94 billion light years from one edge to the other, although it's expanding every moment. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we can transverse from one side of the universe to the other in no time. So the distances no longer matter because time is eternal as uh, illuminated energy-based beings, we become immortal. Where there is light, there is no darkness. So we become perfect in this regard, enormously empowered, liberated in time. And as energy-based beings, we can transition uh, into other dimensions that we otherwise would not be able to experience. Also, the, the, the verbs in Hebrew, this language that we are translating here for this program, uh, the verbs um, are symbolic of light and that yeah, all true. Hebrew verbs are liberated in time. They, what they say uh, was, is, and will be true. So there's no past or present or future tense in, in uh, the is. Hebrew of the Torah and prophets. It, the verbs are. They are literally symbolic of the very nature of, uh, of light. So the language that Yahweh used to reveal his words resemble the closest analog there is to Yahweh's nature, to our future nature, which is light. So that's pretty spectacular. It's <laughs> um, a mouthful of breath. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, and with something this spectacular, why aren't there, you know, if you're going to do a depiction of something, why not do a depiction of this brilliant light coming out of the, uh, the sky? You know, the, don't depict a, a statue of Jesus with his robes and his arms outstretched. That's the Passover lamb. He's, uh, he did his thing. Thank God he did. But that's over. Yes. Why, not, yeah. why not dazzle people? Uh, show them the brilliance of what we are, um, can expect just through light. Why, why don't we, we do that? Uh, I mean, as, as artists? You know, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, well, it's, more it's people. Tough, I, it's tough to do because you're using subtractive materials. Basically, you can only get it lighter, as light as uh, the picture, the color that you yeah. have on your palette. Yeah. So it's a, you yeah. actually have... But uh, if you do it with lights, or if you do it with something that's like your, the phone you're holding, uh, there's light behind there. Actually, if you put a picture on there, it'll come up brighter. My students used to take those pictures, and they say, I want to paint it just like that. And I say, I can't match that color. You've got light behind glass. 
mm-hmm. it's reflecting, it's going through, and there's right. no, no, and there's no dirt in the world. It's right. Right. Color coming yeah, through the you light. know, so I, that's, that's right. the error. Uh, I bought for, uh, for I have a. Uh, um, an office uh, and there's a cafe room next to where my wife has her office. We, we, we both spend so much time studying Torah, translating and writing and researching and mm-hmm. supporting uh, this effort. We actually both have uh, in our home, we turned uh, four bedrooms into dual his and her offices. And in one of the joining rooms between my, uh, uh, my, my wife's office and my office and it might sound extravagant for us both to have two offices, but you know, I want to tell you if, Why? if you were doing no, uh, no. You know, sunrise to past sunset every day, I'm in this chair. And so to be able to move, just be in a different chair and a different desk and a different monitor uh, is, uh, is helpful because like a day like today where it, where it goes to this time, I can tell you that uh, my body begins to uh, break down. It's uh, it's difficult for me. So I have to. But anyway, this room right next to me uh, is a room that uh, only had windows on one side. It's uh, It overlooks the ocean, so it's a really pretty view. But the other side uh, was just a, a wall. So it's the uh, probably the only room in the house that has a wall on uh, on one side. And, and so what I chose to put there was three uh, four-foot-wide, two-foot-high pictures of vibrant colors on glass. And so the, you're, you're talking about what happens when you paint on glass and you have the light that shines through it. They're vibrant. Mm-hmm. Different, different it's an, things, it's, yes. Yeah. It's an amazingly beautiful visual to be able to have to deal with color glass and then to have the light shine through it which is what I have. And uh, we're right now in the process of replacing every window and door in the house. And we had these really traditional uh, mullions where you had divided glass and there were just lines everywhere. And they've all been replaced with uh, just open panels. So now it's all the bars are gone and it's this blue light. And I, you know, everybody has their thing. My thing is I want it bright. I love light. I love uh, lights at night. I love uh, light, brilliant light in the day. All the colors from the, and I've sent you pictures here of the beauty mm-hmm. of the sunrise as it uh, comes up oh, over yeah. the water, yeah. and the beautiful uh, beauty of the sunset here as it the long shadows, the uh, the land and the water. Uh, the the light here is the most wonderful of any of that I've ever experienced, and. There is just something uplifting, empowering, enlightening, um, rejoicing for me as uh, the more I'm exposed to light. Um, so when I read this kind of thing, for me, it resonates. It probably does for you as an artist because oh, light sure. is the essence sure. of art. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was going to come back as dazzling light. It's why I view the uh, Dodes home and our collective covenant home and the waterway in between them and the bridge that goes over them. I see them all constructed out of uh, out of energy, being dazzling and brilliant and uh, illuminated and and 
uh, somewhat even transparent so that you can see, take in the view. Um, everybody. That makes sense. So that's what we're uh, that's what we're expecting. I, I I don't know how you uh, find a better place to say. I think that's been a, a very good program. <laughs> Let's, we've covered a lot of territory. We've been in a magnificent well, place. Yeah, I'm I'm going to take the risk that we pick up here and we uh, uh, this time a week from now because this is the most magnificent presentation of Yahweh's return. It is something. We should all be anticipating and celebrating, and it is so very near. Here we are in January, uh, the last uh, few days of January in 2022, and in early October, the 2nd of October, and 2033 is when this is going to transpire. The very darkest moment in human history is going to be followed by the most brilliant. One instant to the next. And what side of that you're on is going to determine where you spend eternity. So I would encourage our Jewish listeners and even those Goyim to step away from the darkness of religion and politics and militarism and conspiracy and embrace the light. The light is reflected in Yahweh's words. It's reflected in his Torah and through his prophets. It's reflected in Zechariah as we read it this day. Well, may Yahweh bless you all. A wonderful Shabbat to to one and all uh, from uh, here in in what I think is paradise all the way to the People's Republic of uh, of California. Uh, We... uh, we we wish you uh, a good night and uh, and happy Shabbat. May right. he bless you all. Good night. Good night.